You've got to lead by example. I've always said you should never ask somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So what happens here, because as you see, my office is in the gym. So if I go there and someone's vomited or there's some horrendous mess in the gym or whatever, like I pack up weights 10 times a day, I go out and fix up the weight trees and adjust the weights because people see me doing that and go, that must be what's expected. It's not that I want to clean up crap, but it's like, okay, if I go out and I get the mop bucket out and I get down and I scrub something and I leave them to serve the customers, I got it, it's no problem at all. They go, wow, how awesome is that? And then if I'm not here, what are they going to do? You know, I know what Tony would do, he'd grab the mop. So I always think you've got to lead from the front and you never just sort of have this attitude of, I'm the boss, I can pay someone else to do that. Never, 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 never. Everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pakulski. This podcast, as always, is framed around building your greatest body, living your greatest life. And today's guest is an incredible leader. He's a mentor of mine, someone who is absolutely crushing it in his life. He's been through hard times. He's now seeing great times, and he's got incredible life lessons to share with us. And if you're interested in the fitness community, he's got a really interesting story that you can relate to, um, literally from sleeping on his couch in his gym um, because he didn't have the ability to afford rent, um, to you know, not being able to eat, and now to being partners with Arnold Schwarzenegger. My guest today, Tony Doherty, is the owner of four gyms in Australia. He's the head of the Arnold Classic Australia. He's great friends with Arnold. And to be honest, he's just a great guy. And you're going to love this conversation about uh, striving for your dreams, how to be a great leader. And you're going to love Tony's insights into uh, how to pursue your dreams with reckless abandon and never, ever quit. Enjoy the episode with Tony Doherty. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. I'm sitting in a beautiful office staring at a bookshelf of amazing books that most of which I've never read. So just so you know, Tony, I'm probably going to poach some of these books. Sitting here with my great friend and the leader of the Australian bodybuilding community, Tony Doherty. What's up, my man? Good to have you here again, Ben, at Doherty's Gym here in uh, sunny Melbourne. Dude, my, thing, my southern home. Um, and we just recorded about 10 minutes of a podcast and I... My recorder decided to die, so I appreciate your patience. We're rolling okay. this time. They never know. Um, yeah, so Tony, man, you're, you know, as I said in our previous chat, in 2011 was my first time here, and, uh, you know, I'd never been to Australia. I was so grateful to have been flown out here and, and be able to compete at your show. And, uh, you know, as far as shows around the world, and you probably know this by now, that you took care of us better than anybody else did. And I was so grateful for that. And, um, you know, you treated us like celebrities and you actually said that in the beginning, right? So some bodybuilders get, get to uh, compete and we get an amazing treatment, you know, in many places, but in this place you went above and beyond, man, you took care of our hotel, our, our meals, our transportation, our workouts, you know, you if we said we needed something, you had it, man. And, uh, from an athlete's perspective, I, I think that was a huge contributing factor to your continued growth. And as I said, also, um, 
that was kind of for, from the outsider's perspective, kind of the beginning of your upswing. And now you've, you've literally taken over Australian bodybuilding. Your Doherty's gym here is a massive success and an incredible facility to train. Like if you actually love to train, this is the place to be. And this isn't something that happened by accident. You crafted this. And I'd love to talk about that vision you speak of. Well, I guess, you know, there's been a lot of turning points along, along the way, but I guess it started back, well, both with the Arnold Classic and with the gym brand is um, I think I went to the States for the first time in like 1990 or something. Um, I went over there with an Australian bodybuilder called Sonny Schmidt who I trained with and managed. Love and, his physique, man. Yeah. In fact, um, we went to a show in Buffalo, New York, upstate New York, which I emceed, and we did the Night of Champions, and we stayed in LA for about – there's four weeks in between and trained at Gold's Gym. You know, I had a little country gym at the time and I walked out of there and said, I know what I want to do. And I went to the first Arnold Classic I went to was, I think, 91. And I met Jim Lorimer and I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring this to Australia one day. I'm not ready yet, but I know what I need to know. And I remember I got to ask him one question. I said, when do you start working on next year's event? He said, Monday morning and kept walking. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> I, better grow, I better grow up and get ready for this because you've got to be able to learn to devote yourself for one, two, three hundred days straight to get shit done and not to make excuses and all that. But, you know, that planted the seeds, I guess. And then I thought, I'm going to come back and I saw what Golds was doing in Venice. I thought, shit, I'd love to create something like that in Australia. And originally I was going to do a Golds gym, but I was so broke I couldn't have afforded the license fee. Then I went back a couple of years later and it kind of lost its edge and it was becoming a little bit more mainstream, a little bit corporate. And I thought, there's my niche. I ain't going to do that. I'm going to go back. I'm going to work out what my brand is. I'm going to build those values of that brand and lock it in. So everyone knows, you know, um, what they get when they walk into a Doherty's gym. And I thought I'm going to end up with multiple gyms. But I always had this vision to build this brand. And I didn't know what I was going to call it. And the truth is I couldn't afford any of the licenses or franchise. I go, so I've been doing these bodybuilding shows for a little bit. I'll just call it Doherty's gym. Everyone's heard of me kind of thing in a local sense. So we did that. And I always thought about the clothing and the thing and the things that I learned watching the US models of what they did so well and just thought, yeah, but I'm going to build something that I'd love to train in, guys like you would love to train in. And when one day I have a pro show that they're going to come out and talk about and, and promote and advertise, I always had this long vision of, of how it was going to turn out. But to do that, you have to know what your brand is and you can't just buck with the trends and change it around every time someone comes in there, like a, a woman come and say, oh, you need to have child mining in your gym. And I know people have done that and they've taken out squat racks to create an area for the kids to keep one person happy or two persons happy. The reason people go to your gym is because they don't want kids there. They don't want to be around that, you know, YMCA feel or this mainstream thing. So I thought, we're not mainstream. Then I realized if I build a gym like this, one day we're going to have one of these in every big city in the world because every city needs a Doherty's gym. Somewhere where I guess we'll have the five percent of people that nobody else wants. Right. And that's totally. a huge demographic yeah. and no one else is fighting yeah. over it. And you know, somewhere where people don't want to train, they need to train. So we get all the insomniacs right. and all this. And I thought one day we'll be twenty four hours. <laughs> you know, and this goes back. So then uh, there's been a few things. And then two thousand one I decided to do the first Australian pro. And you talk about how we looked after the athletes and all that sort of thing. Well, the reason that was, well, apart from you know, I grew up in a country place and my parents always instilled that in me is to be a good host and look after people but beyond that Ben I had to give people a reason to come out here you know it was a 15 hour flight there was the prize money was as low as any prize money pro show in the world right and I thought I'll put it on right after the Arnold Classic because everyone will be in shape I'll, I'll treat them so well that they'll go back and tell everyone so that first year you know we had we had a barbecue set up out there on the footpath just outside of here 
it was Chris Cormier and, and Dennis James and Topomania and these guys came out and they got off the plane. We had people there to pick them up. They came down here. We had all this food cooked. We had, you know, bowl because it was a bodybuilder, so I knew what they wanted. Had a baked potato, sweet potato, big bowls of rice, takeaway containers, and all the meat in the world, fish and chicken and steak. I thought, wow. And then when it got to their rooms, because I'd travel with for so many years with bodybuilders and gone to hotels in the middle of the night after a long flight, and there's no food there and there's room service. And they got like you know, pasta bake and lasagna and uh, club sandwiches. I'm like, shit, imagine that. So instead of that, I, I got apartments for everyone, like um, with with with, with uh, kitchens and stoves and fridges, and I'd load the apartments up with food. There's you know, a bag of rice cakes and, you know, yeah. some fresh stuff and some fruit and just some things that they may need and made sure they were doing it. And then we'd get them to the show and we'd make sure everyone had a table to sell their photos and I'd pump the crowd up and say, come and support Ben Picasso, come and support Melvin Anthony or who was there with their pictures and, and, and make the guys into stars. And it worked because in the next year, everyone wanted to come back and the next year and the next year. And, and you know, it didn't even break even for the first four years, but I knew I was creating something that would stand the test of time without just throwing prize money at it because anyone can do that. And uh, now it's the third longest, uh, well, turned into FedEx and then into the Arnold, but it's the third longest running show in the world, only behind the Olympia and the Arnold, yeah, going into yeah. our 19th year. You know, and it, 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 that was always the philosophy is to, to create an experience that money can't buy. And then uh, the same thing happened with the gym. Did anyone can go out with millions of dollars and buy all the newest equipment in the world and set up a facility, but right. it's got no heart and soul and atmosphere and, and, and the thing that people Passion. really crave and want. Yeah. You know, so I did this with nothing. You know, man, I, you know, the first is what a lot of people don't know because they see it now. They go, oh, you know, you, you, you're doing fine. When I opened my uh, first gym in Melbourne in 1994, first year, I had a rice cooker, a vertical grill, which was like one of those old toasters you could cook yep. meat in, and a couch. I didn't even have a television. I had a duffel bag with my clothes in it, and I slept on the couch at the gym. And what I'd do is get up in the morning because um, we'd open at six at that stage, and I'd have a shower at the gym. I'd walk up to the nearest McDonald's to get a takeaway coffee and a newspaper next door and walk to open the door so it looked like I'd came from somewhere because I had to maintain my dignity. I didn't have to tell anyone I was doing it hard and I was getting the power cut off every month and I was sleeping on the couch. I didn't have a home. So I did this for nearly a year. And then at night, I'd close up at 10. I'd go hide behind a tree in the nearest car park while everyone left. And when every car had gone, because they'd sit at the front and talk shit, you know, the bodybuilders and bouncers and thugs, it was just like telling all their war stories. So I'd just sit there, I'd do the shiver in the winter or, or, or sweat in the summer, and then I'd go back in and, you know, cook my food, lie down on the couch and do it all again. Day after day, seven days a week, doing all the hours with no staff and no handouts and no nothing. You know, and I couldn't even afford treadmills that first year. So what I'd do, I'd, you know, I'd just put every cent back into the gym. I didn't draw a wage for the first seven years. I would, you know, get $2,000 in the bank and I'd go buy a secondhand leg press. I traded a car for a lap pull down so I didn't have a car. No shit. <laughs> I believe you. Yeah, and that's how it all started. That's passion right there. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then and then and then the next big one was to go twenty four hours. There was no twenty four hour gyms in Australia. So I'm just gonna do it. People said, How are you gonna do it? I said, I don't know. So we moved into this building here. We rented out the back half because I couldn't even afford it. But the thing I did, and this is a great story for you listeners, I always say you've got to risk something that matters and you can't have a plan B. You've got to burn the boat. So what I did the first day that I opened here and said I'm gonna be twenty four hours for the rest of time, I will never ever shut the doors again. I threw the keys away. I threw them over into that car park as far as I could and and there's no keys. <laughs> and when we went 24 hours in the city, I threw the keys into the river. We had like a little ceremony now where we throw away the keys. 
and I have to instill that into my management stuff. Say, hey, there's no plan B. There's no natural disaster. There's no active mankind or active God that will close the doors here. Ever. So there's no actual keys to this place. No, no. I swear <laughs> to God, never. No, no. Because we don't great. close. We don't, and we won't. And that's what I mean about you can't have a plan B. Because you always got this thing in the back. Oh, if it doesn't work out, I can soften my approach or I yes. can go back on my word. Fuck that. And I, no. So that's that's a little <laughs> little bit of background to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic, man. So I've been a professional bodybuilder for a few years, and prior to that, you know, since I was 15 years old, maybe 16, I was like a passionate fan of this sport, and you know, I followed everybody along the way, and you've been friends, and still are friends with literally almost everybody in the sport. Yeah. And I'd love to hear one thing. One of the things that people love to hear, myself included, is like some of your favorite stories of you know maybe it's Sunny, maybe it's Chris, getting friends with Chris. Um, something that comes to mind uh, as far as like giving people a kind of a back in backdoor insight into the life of an actual bodybuilder. And you guys travel a lot with Sonny. You know, you had some yeah, pretty cool stories. Yeah, I've traveled with everyone. You know, I went on some of those European Grand Prix. I've emceed mm-hmm. shows all over the world. And, you know, I was like, you know, I was a kid. And how it all started for me, I was like, I think I was about to turn 14. And I was watching TV with my dad. It was like, I guess, a, probably a black and white TV. I'm that old. But it was, anyways, it was a TV. And Arnold was on this variety show, like a Johnny Carson kind of thing, but it was a, an Australian one. And he was out here promoting his book called The Education of a Bodybuilder. And it changed my life. I was like, That's, wow. Knowing how that comes full circle is pretty right, right. cool. And, yeah. and I looked at this guy and it wasn't just his muscles, obviously. And I said to dad, you know, what's that thing in his arm? He says, That's a vein. I'm like, wow. I'm like, hey, dad, can everyone look like that? And he goes, well, well, you know, find out, I guess so. Like, probably just lift weights and there was a fat kid, you know, he goes, you probably got to watch your diet a little bit and get along to a gym, but sure. Um, that's what I want to do. And I said, my birthday or Christmas is coming up. I just want that book. I never want anything from you guys again, just that book. And I resigned from Christmas. I resigned from pocket money that day. I said, I'm going to figure it out. And I read that book from cover to cover. In fact, when you look at all my books, it's the only book I don't have. I've got my original pumping iron book there. It's fallen into like a thousand pieces. Oh, well. But the education of a bodybuilder, I, I, I think I lost chunks out of it. I read it so much. <laughs> anyway, and, and it wasn't just his muscles. This is the thing I explained to It was his confidence and his charisma. It was the fact that, look at this guy. He's got broken English and I'm, I'm, I've been sucked into it. You know, I want to be like him. I want to be a bodybuilder, I want to be a gym owner, I want to be a promoter. And I decided that when I was 14 and that was it. I did a lot of other shit after then, dumb shit and everything else. But that was always, <laughs> that was the plan. And, uh, you know, so then uh, when I started promoting bodybuilding, I guess it was 88 or 89, one of the first things I did was went and found who I thought was the best prospect in Australia, which was Sonny Smith. And I said, here's a plan, how are you going to get your pro card? I'm going to take you to America. How did you meet him? I went and knocked on his door. Um, he'd been competing with a smaller federation here that was going nowhere. And I became the IFBB amateur promoter for the state of Victoria. I thought, I need a superstar. He needs a manager. So I went and knocked on his door. It's a funny story because he's a Samoan guy and he lived with another Samoan guy. And they were bouncers at the time. You know, they were these real heavy, hard-hitting left-hook bouncers. Yeah. You know? and I was this kid from the country. I was like 25, I guess. 24, I think, when I started all this. So I went and knocked on his door and he goes, who is it? And I said, uh, Tony Doherty, you know, I'm the new promoter for the IFBB. I want you to be a part of it. He goes, fuck off, man. Promoters are all shit. I don't want to... Nothing. Oh, shit. I drove from two hours from the country in a car I borrowed for this meeting. Oh, shit. Bang, bang, bang. I'm thinking this is going to come out and bash me, you know. <laughs> and he, his friend was just like, don't you listen, man. We'll come and smack you in the mouth. Wow. You know, this oh, shit. Three times lucky. Bang, bang, bang. All right, man, come in. What do you got to say? 
I went and I said, listen, uh, this is my vision. I think you should take on the world. I want to see you in the Mr. Olympia competition. I'm going to walk you the right steps um, to get your pro card. You're the best bodybuilder the country's ever had. And I think you can go all the way. I'm here to help you. He said, sounds good, man, you know. And then a little while later, we had the first ever, it was an Australian pro show. It was only a one-off. And it was like in 89. And, and uh, yeah, the guy that was promoting here above me, who I worked with for years until the, the split was Paul Graham. And I went to him and I said, well, if we're going to do one of the versions, so it was like split between Queensland, Sydney and Melbourne. And he was going to have a, a, a Sydney bodybuilder in it. And I said, well, we have to have a Melbourne one. I can't sell tickets. So we need we had two pro cards to give out. So I said, we're going to give one to Sonny. I remember I called him. I said, hey, we've got a pro show in Melbourne. How far away, man? I go, 10 weeks. He goes, fuck, I'm fat. He goes, but I'll do it. I'll make it happen. Let's go. And he did that. And he got, you know, like top six or something like that. And then when we went to the States, I was talking about earlier, we went to the Night of Champions the first time. And... Um, he finished sixth, and it was funny. I emceed that show. I was the first person ever to introduce Dorian Yates in the US, so it was his first US show. Wow! Muhammad Benaziza won it, and Dorian took second. It was the only time he got beaten. No, he got beaten that year at the Olympia by Haney, and right. he never got beaten again. Right. So I remember introducing him, and I'd seen all the hype from Peter McGough, and he used to get that pumping press. It was like a newspaper-style magazine from mm -hmm. England, and uh, so everyone knew all about Dorian because Peter McGough really promoted him. And the next year, the Night of Champions, Dorian won and Sonny got second, qualified for the Olympia. Wow. He got sixth in his first Mr. Olympia. You know, and his budget for his preparation for the show was 1500 bucks. And you know, we'd go to, to LA to train and all these guys would be talking about all these exotic formulas they were taking, all these new you know, experimental Customized, medicines. Yeah. And we'd be like, huh? And they <laughs> thought we were lying. They're right. like, oh, if you're not going to be up front with us, well, we, we, we don't want to talk to you. I mean, we just do a lot of sets and a lot of reps. Yeah. And then uh, he moved back to Australia and I trained with Sonny for four Olympias, full on. I, you know, by then I'd stopped competing because obviously I was running shows and it looked like dog shit for a promoter to be going to shows, but I still wanted to be a good bodybuilder, right. you know? So I got in actually way better shape training f with him for the Olympias and we always talk about the different styles of training. We had this uh, a lot of reps and a lot of sets. So we do, you know, 30, 40, 50 sets per body part, two body parts a day, seven days a week. Sometimes six, but for the most part, seven. He never missed a rep, never missed a set, never cheated on his diet. It was just once we started, it was all in. Right. And so that was the lifestyle. So I was living on the floor of the gym, and then he moved back. We had a little house across the road from the gym. And all we do is it was the ultimate lifestyle. Just get up in the morning, I'd open the gym, wait for him to come over. We'd train, then people started to come and watch. Right. And for those that don't know Sonny Schmidt, uh, look him up. He's, his body is incredible he had so much muscle little waist huge quads huge arms huge pecs like missing nothing by today's standards he would be top five in the world i would say um you know and, and by today's standards he probably would have progressed to be mr olympia so he's just so big how tall was he i uh, was like five nine okay. five eight and a half five he looks nine. like he's about six foot four right he looks yeah. like a giant he's yeah. just so so big um incredible muscle yeah so you know so it was fun traveling with him and that was sort of the end and so the first time we went over there to goals it was like you know delette and flex um and chris and rico and all those guys were training and you know it was like i was this kid from the country all of a sudden i'm in gold's gym venice being recognized by these guys and doing all this cool shit and i'm like wow is this real you know and 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 i guess when you start being around greatness then you start being greater you know Hell so yeah you know, we Up learned more game. about how hard you could train and all that sort of thing and then each time i'd bring a guest poser out i remember i bought i think like 1990 something gary strider out and he's this 
is a beast, you know, he's the biggest white guy I'd ever seen at this stage. But the passion he had when he talked about training, his eyes went crazy. It was like, you've got to train hard, man. And he'd shake and he'd start talking about the reps and the sets. And when it was quit time, that's when you started. And this is what sorted out people. So this is a mind shift for me. You know, and then obviously we were around all the people and then and Sonny would say, hey, there's this up-and-coming guy. We should get him out to guest post before anyone else does because he's going to be big. And the first one he told me about was NASA, when NASA was just like a 10th placer or something at the night of champions. Sonny goes, no, 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 this guy is nuts. And the next one that we stumbled on and bought out before he'd ever done anything was a guy called Ronnie Coleman. Wow. So one of his first ever guest poses was here in Melbourne. I bought him out before he was Mr. Olympia when he was, you know, thinking about giving up bodybuilding. And, and uh, you know, I got to train with Ronnie and travel with Ronnie and I probably interviewed Ronnie I don't know, between 50 and 100 times over the years. And he's the most fascinating person I think I've ever met. I mean, people don't understand the mindset and it's, it's kind of reverse of what we preach because you and I talk about setting your goals and being passionate and being all in and, you know, so I'm like, Ronnie, hey, did you think you're going to be Mr. Olympia? Nope. When did you realise how good you were? He goes, well, well well, on. <laughs> and I go, did you realise then that you're the best in the world? He goes, no, no, I thought that was a fluke. So we did again. <laughs> and I'm like, did you realise then? He goes, no, it was like about the third time before I said, oh, maybe we're going to be good at this. You know, He had this, this thing, he just did it to do it. And it was his hobby. But this guy, you know, talking to Ronnie and seeing his mindset when it came to training and what he had to do. I mean, he won four Olympias working 10-hour shifts in a squad car with a, a flak jacket on and getting up at four in the morning to, to do his cardio and prepare his food, doing a 10-hour shift in Texas in a squad car and then going to the gym. Right. You know, getting to bed at two in the morning and up again at four. And, and all the these Instagram celebrities we have now complaining that they have to do cardio, right? It's always means of comparison, how someone becomes truly great compared to someone who just thinks like, how do I become great? They're asking you the question, right? How do I become great? Yeah, you know, and, 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 and the delusion and, and sense of entitlement that some of these people have is, is fascinating because I get kids come to me and say, look, I'm going uh, to compete my first show at the end of the year, so I've given up my job. I'm going full time, looking for a sponsor. I'm like, you gave up your job? To do your hobby, you're insane, you know. And 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 then you look at someone like Ronnie, who didn't want to lose his uh, medical benefits and his his um, superannuation, all the things that count, by putting all his eggs into bodybuilding until he won the Olympia four times. He said, oh, "And now I go part time." Right. You know, I, I tell that is... story too, where like I didn't tell anyone I was a professional bodybuilder. Like if someone asked, like you work out, yeah, I train, but I never told anyone I was a professional bodybuilder after New York Pro in 2010. Like that was my second pro show because like. You're not fucking bodybuilder. You work out. Like you get these kids who are 17 years old. I'm a bodybuilder. I'm like, no, you're not. You like to work out. That's great. But you're not a bodybuilder. Like literally, I, I was pro for two years before I'd ever said to anybody, even after I get my pro card, I'd be like, yeah, I train. Love to train. It's my passion. I love it. But like, are you a bodybuilder? No. Like I'm just a guy who works out. <laughs> it's funny how people have that I still would have a job and pay my yeah, bills for and sure. support my family and do all the you know, normal stuff. So this to me has always been fascinating, but I love the mindset of, of champions. And, uh, you know, I've got to want to get into my podcast and stuff yeah. and interviewing people. Um, something I've done a lot of writing and talking about is just the mindset of a champion, you know, ah, and then yeah. getting to be a business partner with Arnold and travel the world with, with him and see how he operates and the level of thought and passion and intelligence that a guy like him has. Right. And the mindset. This and is, this and is I want to get into that everyone. because like you talked about up-leveling to the people around you. So you went into Gold's Gym and all of a sudden you started training harder because you saw these guys were the best in the world. And, you know, over the last 20 years, you've 
continuously just been up-leveling and up-leveling. And we talked about before your, uh, before we started, just like where what your trajectory is right now. Like the sky's the limit, man. So I, I know you acknowledge that with yourself, but uh, it's not by accident. It's by design. You know, you, you talked Correct. about um, when you started this show, you know, when you first did the FitX show, you had a vision in mind. Talk to me about that, man. Well, what that was, was that, you know, when Arnold finished being governor, I guess it was 2011, he said he was going to take his Arnold Classic worldwide and do one in every continent. And I've gone, click. Okay. You'd never met him at that point? I met him for a photo when I was a kid, just right. like I paid the VIP the extra 50 bucks yep. or something to get the three seconds with Arnold, you know. Sure. But um, he was my idol, you know, and I, I was obviously in with all the pro league people and the amateur. So I was in with the IFB and all the bodybuilding people. I guess I've been doing the pro show then for about 10 years. And my, my vision when I started the pro show was to do it with an expo and to turn it into some kind of something like an Arnold Classic. Mm-hmm. So then I'd, um, we did the first two years, uh, the first year at the plenary, because we're waiting for that to get built, the beautiful theatre here. And it became, when I booked it, I knew it was the greatest venue that anyone in the world had ever had a bodybuilding show at. So I'm, I always have this thing is cre- raise your own bar, create your own levels. Don't look at the Olympia or another Arnold go, oh, I have to be that good. I'm going, no, I'm going to take this to another oh, level. I sure. mean, that, that venue is world-class beyond doubt. I, and I think I was here for the first year and it was absolutely incredible. Right. And then setting off fireworks on yeah. stage because they said it couldn't be done. I said, of course it can be done. Figure it WWE way. does it. Right. I'll, I'll find a way. And just having this you know, this this vision of raising the bar. But anyway, so how that started, um, that I knew I was going to do this FedEx show and then when Arnold said he was going to take the Arnold Worldwide, I thought, right, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to work every single day and I'm going to turn that into Australia's best sport and fitness expo. I'm going to make it so much like an Arnold and so amazingly good and I'm going to position myself with all the right people in the world so that when Arnold in two or three years' time looks at Australia, I'm his only choice. That There'll be no consideration whatsoever that he would even want to interview anyone else. So I positioned myself by working my butt off and creating something I knew he would love and admire and waiting and being patient and then being ready. And we were talking earlier off air about it. It's great to have dreams, but you can't hesitate. You have got to be ready that when your turn comes to say, I am equipped, I'm ready, and I've got all the pieces ready, the buttons ready to push. And that was me. So then, you know, um, obviously Arnold went to the Lorimer's, he went to Jim Mannion, he went to um, his publicist out here, and all they said was Tony Doherty, Tony Doherty, Tony Doherty. says, oh, I've got to meet this guy. And then we clicked, you know, it was, it was great. And I, and I just said to him, look, I don't have the funding, I don't have the budget that some people have. I said, but I will give my all. I will commit myself to this organisation today. I'll never let you down. I'll work tirelessly, 365 days a year. I'm all in or I'm not in at all. We shook hands and I haven't stopped. So we're recording this on a Thursday and uh, I was first year on Tuesday and you just flown in from Arnold's house. Yeah. Well, yeah. well what happened? Um, he had a strongman event uh, on Santa Monica Pier at the weekend and I just said last Tuesday to someone, uh, probably should go and I was talking to Bob Lorimer he goes oh it's a long way to come for a weekend and I said whoa hang on a minute I said <laughs> right. Arnold comes out here for me for the weekend right he's 71 what I'm I'm gonna find a way I'm coming so that was it so I, I literally booked my flight uh Tuesday night and left Thursday morning got there Thursday morning flew out Sunday because you lose a day coming home sure um and, and we had a fantastic event but look um I, I needed some look you've just got to get shit done so i needed some footage from arnold for him to talk on video about coming back to australia and how awesome it's going to be and he's a busy guy if you just request it and just doesn't happen drags it. well it might yeah. not happen and I thought, if i go there and say this is what i need i'm sure he'll get it done so i flew there for that and to sign up three strong men that i wanted to get into our arnold australia and, you know, years ago, I remember seeing you at the um, LA Fit Expo and it was one year that we didn't have so many people in the Australian Pro 
And it was like, I think it was February. It was like January or February. And I flew to LA just to get some signatures yeah. and to take, I took contracts with me. I went and I said, listen, give me a, give me a go. I'm going to give you the best time you've ever had. You know, I remember Evan said a party, Dennis Wolf and someone else that year. I just went out and said, come on, bro. I'll, I'll get you here. I'll pick you up at the right. airport. I'll give you an experience you'll never forget. And they I signed. I think Roden might have been at that one. I don't know if he was. I know he competed at the Flex Pro, and it was right after the Flex Pro. Uh, I can't remember. But he didn't come out that time. But anyway, yeah. so I was always willing to do that. And I thought, ah, yeah, it'll be a little bit of fun. I get to catch up with Arnold and the team and so on. But it was better than I could ever imagine. So I got in Thursday morning, took a shower. Bob said, ah, come down to Arnold's office. So we went down there, and I went to a four-hour production meeting with him and his team and our Arnold Strongman team and Ty and Bob, my partners in Strongman, were there for like four hours. He goes, let's go to lunch. So next thing we we're in the Rose Cafe in, in Venice having lunch with Arnold and I'm just, this is pretty cool, you know. Then uh, Friday morning, said, let's all go to the gym in the morning. We'll bring the Strongman down and get a great photo to promote the thing for the local media and so on, but let's go train. So next thing I'm in there doing shoulders next to Arnold, you know, having this banter at seven o'clock in the morning in gold. So I'm like, wow, fuck yeah, this is pretty fucking cool. So then we went back and did all the filming for what we needed to do. We took a green screen in and had a, you know, uh, all the cameras and stuff there. And that turned into another production meeting. And, and then he's like, hey, let's go for lunch again. So we end up, off we went again. And I'm like, in fact, you know, he's like, jump in the car with me. No problem, I can, I can do that. See you guys. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, you sort of have these pinch yourself moments and we're there with, you know, his friend Ralph Mueller and some of the guys I've sort of grown up admiring. And then Friday night he said, well, he invited all of the strongmen and his partner. So we had our partner, Anna from Brazil, myself and Bob there. And um, he said, well, I'm going to put on a, a, a gathering at my home and we'd like to have you guys all up there to give them you – know, he's, he's, he's a very smart guy. And, you know, these guys all flew from all over the world, from you know Poland and Lithuania and some of these places – for an Arnold experience, to go to Santa Monica Pier and support him and support. It was all about the firefighters, the Californian firefighters he wanted to raise money for. So we all flew in from all over the world to support that. So his way of saying thanks was, well, I'll put on like a little cocktail party, if you like, at my place. He's got, you know, chefs and bartenders sure. and all that sort of thing. So next thing, I'm, I'm drinking a bottle of wine with Franco Colombo at Arnold's house, talking, you know, telling stories. He's telling me stories about Dave Draper yeah. and, and Mike Katz and Arnold back in the day and stuff I'd heard before. And I told him, oh, Arnold told me this story. He goes, no, no, there's more. And, and ended up having just a most fantastic night. And Look, I've had a lot of moments, Ben. Um, I've been on the road with Arnold now for five years. And so many times I've just had to stop and pinch myself. You ever look at your phone and go, that's Arnold's number? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's, that's a cool thought, yeah, right? Yeah, like, that. Or sometimes he FaceTimes me. I remember oh, one yeah. I was just walking, doing my morning walk up here in the park. I feel my phone vibrate. Oh, shit. Right. So call me I'm doing and because he loves FaceTime. Obviously. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Shit. <laughs> Screenshot. Yeah. No, no, screen, no. Hey, I never do that cheap you. sort of stuff. But yeah. you know, half an hour later, I'm still sitting in the park, chat with him, just talking shit. You know, that, great. that stuff like that's just so cool. So I have sometimes some people say, "Oh, is it, is it surreal?" I said, "Well, sometimes you, you really sure. have those moments." I mean, I was standing there by his pool, and I had a few wines and smoking one of his cigars, and just standing with some of my favourite people in the world, and then you know being around him and he comes up and puts his arm around you and says, everything okay? You know, this tells me a little bit, which I won't share, but about his house and how he sure. built this and where he spends his time. Uh, you know, so it, it's almost an emotional experience. You're kind of like, you look back at that little kid. I think I did a post about it, I think, the other day and said, you know, if I had, could have told this to that 25-year-old kid 
that would work out, wow. You know, I, I, it's, 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 it's difficult to even explain. But sometimes the uncertainty is what drives you, right? It's like, yeah. you know, like if you, you already knew it was going to work out, you may not hustle the same way, right? And yeah. who knows if hustle is the necessary component, but certainly focus and clarity. And so, you know, if you have a thought to finish, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, so, so there's been these moments um, around the world where I've just got to do cool shit with Arnold, who's, yeah. you know, always been my idol. And people, you know, and I guess I should address this because everyone says, what's he like? You know, what's he like? And I said, well, I've been around a lot of celebrities, you know, through my sure. security days and through all the different yeah. crazy shit I've done. And I've seen a lot of people, um, when the cameras are off, they're just different people. An ass, you know, and, and they just don't know how to treat people. And I always say, Arnold is everything you hope your idol would be. He truly is. He's, he's curious with everyone he meets. He's polite. I've never seen him talk down to a waiter or an Uber driver, ever, ever, ever. And that's when we're privately dining and we're tired and it's late. You know, he thanks the driver every single time we get out of a car. He's gracious with the waiters and the waitresses and makes them laugh and feel important. He's got this great gift of making everyone feel important. And he'll walk into a kitchen and congratulate the chef and he'll say to the waiter or the waitress, you know, because of you, I'm going to try this soup because I trust you because you're so, you're such an amazing at your job, you know, and so awesome. And, and, and this rubs off on you, you know, and I see this and I think, shit, if he can be like that, All the there's time. no room for anyone to be an asshole. Right. Know, because he kind of could be if he wanted to be and no one would even mention it. I talk, I talk about some of the top pro bodybuilders sometimes where like you're walking down the road and everyone wants your time and attention because you're this big freaky guy. They want to touch your arms. They want to talk to you. They want your time and attention. It's very easy to go, leave me alone, right? Whereas Arnold has that times a million and he doesn't, you know, I'm from the sounds of it, go, leave me alone. Like I just want some time to myself. No, no. Yeah. And, and, you know, even if he hasn't got time, he still makes people sure. laugh and feel good about it. So I go, oh, can I take your photo? He goes, yeah, for sure. And he just keep walking. Body and it's their job to chase, you know, because they, they weren't quick enough. Bodybuilders are notoriously bad for saying, oh, like, leave me alone. I'm training now or I'm yeah, doing this. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I seen, I've seen good and bad with that over the years. Sure. And, and, and some people, you know, um, look, bodybuilders at, at that level are, are, are like racehorses. They're like thoroughbreds. For sure. Fine-tuned thoroughbreds are in the zone and with the water depletion and the diet and the carbs, you can have people – Deteriorate and come back up as as they cycle the carbs. You're one. You 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 could be very difficult. No, you could on that low carb day. No question. Nerves, man. And you're manipulating thing. hormones and stress. All, and all that sleep. And deprived. it's our job then to accept that and then yeah. just put some people in the right position. Just don't approach dude while he's training. <laughs> and I've always had this thing with my gyms, and I still do to this day. And we have a lot of high end people train at my gyms. Mm -hmm. um, when I contact their management, they contact me. I say, I'll tell you one thing: nobody will go near them for a photo while they're training. And it's like when we're when I'm on the road with Arnold, it's one of my events. I have you know, bodyguards and people there. So no one goes anywhere near him when he's eating food. I think that's disgraceful that someone would want to take a selfie when the guy's got a fork full of Clearly. chicken or right. vegetables or something. And I'm really protective with that. So, for example, we had Tiger Woods train at my gym for a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. You know, a couple of years back now. But, um, you know, his management contacted me. Because it was a bit of a fluke because they went to a uh, one of the football club gyms. They're like, oh, no, now our team's training here today. You know, he's going to have to make an appointment or something. And his driver's like, for real? He goes, oh, my buddy's got a gym in the city. I'll just call him. So they brought him down. I said, well, you just tell me what time he's going to be there. I'll have someone on the door. We'll let him in the back way because that's when he was getting all the media and there was helicopters following him around. It was crazy. So he had this secret, sacred place that he could go. And I said, I'll tell you, man, no one will come near while you're training. And, uh, and, and I've been able to do that with rap singers and rock stars and actors and all the people – um, that I've been around. I just said, listen, when you're here, man, it's sacred. Everyone leaves their hat at the door. They're all here to train. We've educated our members and our staff to always be cool. You know, the staff, if they would ask someone for an autograph or a selfie, 
during the workout before they train. Now, okay, if they're on their way out, you can kind of read the play a little bit and say, yeah, sure, that'd be nice. But I think that's really, really important is to recognise that with people. So I learned that with the bodybuilders, Trevor. I know who was edgy and who was you know, difficult on the diet. You know, and Dexter can be notoriously difficult leading up to the show because he just takes it so seriously and that's his craft. Right. And that's where he has to take himself. Like when he dumps water, he's miserable. He's sad and he's sorry. I used to love effing with Dexter. Dexter and I are good friends. I, you're totally right, man. Yeah. I, I, I can I could see him pissed off. I'd go over and like try to, try you to wind piss him up. Yeah. Oh, you got it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have fun with it. Yeah, you know, and I've seen a lot of that. But then, you know, when you see him at the expo with the fans a day later, he's like, wow. He's amazing. The guy's just he always gives, 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 gives. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Work, but yeah. You know, and so I learned to, um, you know, I've always been pretty good at reading the temperature in a room. So then when, uh, look, I've done it for so long now that, I can see who's who's okay and who's not, and you just kind of put a bubble around the people that need a bubble, and you push the other ones out the front that need to be seen. And 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 also, if someone has a sense of entitlement or they're rude to my staff or they're out of line, I'm the first person to tell them. You know, I'm going to tell someone to fuck off back to the airport. I don't care. Right. And I've always been like that because we're all people, man. There's no need to be a dick. Right. You know. And and uh, I remember one year it was, it was some German kid he came out. And man, he was nobody, but he was carrying on like he was Ronnie Coleman, you know. And I just said, Don't do the show. What do you mean? I said, Well, I'll, I'll just give you room to someone I else. Think just I know go back to the airport. About. Was that during my career? Possibly. I'm not going to throw a name, but I'll I think I know what you're right talking about. Yeah. yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, and, and I said, just, just go home. I don't care. I don't care who you are. And there was another guy who I'm now actually really good friends with who um, I think he, he competed in Columbus and he came out here and I think he'd been taking something to stay awake for maybe a whole week. And he came out here like kind of high and crazy. And um, he went up to my dad who was at the counter. He was a 75-year-old guy, you know. He said, you know, do you know who I am? And I don't need to do this, I don't need to do that. That's all. I don't care who you are, man. Just use your manners when you're around us. And it was Australia. Welcome, but don't, don't be out of line. Right. And he, and he tore into my dad. And I'd chase him up the street and it, it, it almost ended badly. And it was just, it was a situational thing. And I was a bit of a hothead too, you know. I've yeah. calmed down a lot over the yeah. years. But, you know, and, and that's the thing. I think you've just got to know how to treat people, you know, and how to pull them up and be straight with them. So they know. If, everyone knows in the sport now, if, I, if I'm going to have some hard words with someone, it's probably it's warranted. It's, yeah. not, it's not like I'm just doing it to be a dick. And if I'm going to give someone a hug, that's real. And if I'm going to be, and I'm like that with the kids in the gym, with my staff and everyone. I just think you just, Sometimes I'm the guy that tells the uncomfortable truth, but then that's only to, to help someone to be a better person and to protect their brand. It goes back to branding. Everyone's got a brand, whether you're a professional bodybuilder, a professional golfer, or an actor. You know, at the end of the day, you've um, you know, you've got to protect your brand. If you're doing something dumb, people are just going to um, talk about you the wrong way, and that's that can destroy a brand. You position yourself as a leader in Australia, a leader in um, the bodybuilding niche. Uh, talk to me about that because I think um, this world lacks leadership in many different levels, right? And I think a lot of us, um, one, we need great leaders. And, and I want to talk you know, about what you believe it took to become the man that you are and, and what does it mean to be a great leader? Well, I, I don't really stop and analyze um, that, to be honest. I, I, I just think you've got to lead by example. So to give you some context with that, um, you know, in the gym space, and I see gym owners. I remember once I went to this gym in Sydney and a guy was showing me this great new gym that he built. And back to what we said earlier, you can have all the money in the world and buy all the flash equipment and everything else. But you've got no people skills and no manners, yeah, you're dead. Yeah. So when we went to this guy, it was like nighttime and he wasn't a 24-hour gym. He said, oh, let me show you my new facility. It's all this and this. It's kind of helping the guy. I said, yes, yeah, sweet. We go in. And there was a cleaner working. 
He walked straight past the cleaner. Were, I think they were Vietnamese or Chinese cleaners. He didn't even acknowledge them. Just walked past. And why didn't you introduce me to the guy that's cleaning your gym? Like he's got the keys to the place. What the? And I didn't get it. I still don't get it. And so I've always said you should never ask somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So what happens here, because as you see, my office is in the gym. So I go there and someone's vomited or there's some horrendous mess in the gym or whatever. Like I pack up weights 10 times a day. I go out and fix up the weight trees sure. and adjust the weights because people see me doing that and go, that must be what's expected. So if someone, for example, has vomited or had an accident in the toilet, I'll say this stuff, I've got this. And, and, and there's psychology behind that. It's not that I want to clean up crap. But it's like, okay, if I go out and I get the mop bucket out and I get down and I scrub something and I leave them to serve the customers, I got it. It's no problem at all. They go, wow, how awesome's that? And then right. if I'm not here, what are they going to do? You know, I know what Tony would do. He'd grab the mop. So I always think you've got to lead from the front. And you never just sort of have this attitude of, I'm the boss, I can pay someone else to do that. Never, 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 never. You know, I make coffees for people. You know, I walk people to their car. If I see someone doing exercise wrong, no matter how busy I am, I'll stop and say, would it be okay if I showed you an alternative way to do that because you're going to hurt yourself and it's not effective? If I've got the time, I still do that 10 times a day for free and I'm not looking for clients or anything like that. So I think in an organisation, it's so important if you're going to be a real leader and, and get respect from people and love from people because I think there's two emotions that people suffer. When you, I've got this thing, Ben, I break everything down into twos. It's hot or it's cold. I will or I won't. I'm in or I'm not. I don't, have gray, I don't do this grey area shit. Oh, maybe. It's just we haven't got time for it. So I think two emotions that most people can really, when it comes down to everything, is love and fear. So as a boss, do you want to be feared or do you want to be loved? And if you're feared, it's okay, but people might do shit behind your back because they don't really like you or respect you. But if they love you, they'll take a bullet for you. Right. So I've always tried to lead that way, to be you know, firm but fair and always do what's right. And if someone fucks up, to give them a second chance. You know, unless it's you know, theft or just something treacherous that I won't put up with. And you've got to know what you will and won't accept, in it, whether it's a relationship, a business, a partnership. You know, some, there's some non-negotiables there. But there's, there's some stuff where you go, okay, well, this guy's difficult, but he's got some great skills, so I'm going to work with him and help him to be a better person. It might take, for example, five years for one of your partners to come up to speed because you can see it in them and you're going to back them and just direct them. Mm-hmm. And I think as a leader, um, and as I've got more gyms, I've had to sort of hand over more management and let go of some stuff, is finding the right people and then managing your managers. You know, so I've yep. gone from managing my staff to managing my managers. And then in the bodybuilding space, um, it, to me it was very simple because it had been so badly handled for so long at a pro and amateur level that all I had to do was to do what was right, to start shows on time, to make the registration seamless. So when this split happened with bodybuilding, I got to kind of take over Australian bodybuilding on mm-hmm. the amateur level. It was easy because I'd never started a show on time. They'd always disrespected the competitors. They never had the right trophies. You know, it was there was 15-minute gaps between divisions. It was a changing the order of things. I'm like, okay, we get a running sheet. We make things run on time. I have two lanes. So when one group's walking off, the other group's walking on. We actually have staff backstage managing stuff. We have headpieces and communication tools. We have a DJ. We make it. I've always been into entertainment. And this is Arnold and I often talk about this. We're in the entertainment business. And you, I know when you first come out and did my pro show, you're like, wow. And I get all you guys together at a competitor's meeting. Okay, this is how our opening sequence is going. Everyone's looking, opening sequence? What's that? I'm going, well, I'm going to ignite these fireworks. I have this music plug. I have this smoke machine let off this thing. There's right. going to be these bangs. And people are like, we're in the entertainment business. If a bodybuilding show is going to go, for example, on an amateur level for 12 hours and then run late and go till midnight, 
you got all these people that come to see little Ben, the 19-year-old junior, compete. They're sitting there going, I'd rather die. I'm yeah. never, ever, ever going to do this again, no matter what. I don't care if the guy becomes Mr. Lee. I'm going to one of these shows again because it's so badly run. And then one group finishes and there's a 15-minute wait and then the, you have some MC or some head judge talking about themselves. I'm like, huh. Or bringing people up on in, for interviews that are nobodies, obviously to kill time because your backstage is not organised. It's like, man, I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to do this like we started fresh and write a whole new script and say, okay, I'm going to blow people's fucking minds with how well run this is. I'm going to have competitors go, what just happened? There was food backstage and cases of water and Powerade for if my fluids were a little bit off and donuts for after the show and a medal for every single competitor to remember that they did something and can take that back to work. It's a tough sport. You can work your ass off and look the best you've ever looked and still get ninth or right. tenth. And you go back to work and go, did you win? Right. You know, so I, have a, <laughs> I, I do one of my like, relentless talks at the start of every single show. I sit the competitors down, I explain about how far they've come and I congratulate all of them on their efforts because of the people that pulled out that didn't have the heart. And I turn into this experience that no one's even thought of before. Well, I don't, I've never heard of it in the world. So we do this, we have a gym set up backstage, we have the tanning and a makeup studio. And even at the pro show, I have like a salon for the girls backstage. So they walk in and they go, what? What the hell is this? So, so this lady does lashes and oh, I don't, my staff does lashes and hair extensions, colours and blow waves and there's your makeup artist. That's for you. Right. We want you to feel like a rock star. And then you guys, you know, when you come back, I've got a gym set up backstage, you know. It's simple, man. Simple shit. Yeah. The screen so you can see what's but going on. It makes on it and, simple for us, right? As, right? as an athlete, we don't have to worry about where because I mean I'll tell you an experience for me that just to give you a means of comparison. In two thousand and jeez, uh, 11, I went to, maybe it was after here, I went to FIBO and we were competing in Germany and I couldn't find food. So I ended up, like the only thing I could eat was schnitzel, like fucking deep fry, everything was closed. I was like, is it schnitzel or Subway? This is at the event. And then uh, the only food, like it was either schnitzel, Subway, bananas or Gatorade. That's like the extent of my food for like two days while I'm in FIBO. I was like, this is ridiculous. Nobody came to me and said, hey man, would you like, you know, access to food? Nobody spoke the language, couldn't find a grocery store. I plugged my George Foreman grill in, which I brought. I think exploded because obviously we're a different country with different wattage. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm never coming back here. I never went back. Like, I'll never do this again. And it, it wasn't that it was a bad show. They just hadn't been thoughtful like you had, right? And coming to a different country, like people don't know where to go. They don't know what type of food we can get. They don't like all those things. They don't know where to, you know, it's, it's different. So you just make it simple. And now I want to go back and I'll tell everybody, God, this is the best. They made it so easy for me, right? As an athlete, if you can make it easy, you win. Mm. Well, you know, that's all I had because I didn't have any money. Right. You know, and sometimes it's good to do something with nothing because you appreciate every sort of thing that comes your way. But you think things through properly. You go, okay, well, what can I do? Back to what I said at the start, my greatest philosopher and part on people is to worry about what you can do not what you can't mm -hmm. do tell me about relentless relentless momentum because that i mean obviously you've gone from sleeping on your couch in, in you know call it this office i don't know if it was exactly this office yeah, it's around and, the corner and now having <laughs> dump. you know one of the nicest offices i've been in with this amazing furniture this amazing setup you're gonna be filming a podcast in here coming up so everybody look out for tony um growing up a podcast on how to be awesome and have relentless momentum in life um, how did you go from, from where you were to what seems to me like from the outside, having a really awesome life and, you know, ultimately making your, uh, idols, your friends? Well, it's funny. So relentless momentum to answer that question. Um, I got a lot of, um, when it all started to get momentum, if you like, pardon the pun, but when my life started to sort of get on the up, it's about five, six years ago, I had a lot of people come and say, oh, do you do mentoring work? And with the use of social media, cause I do. 
um, like a daily um, thing called Real Talk on Instagram, and I'm always you know, putting out a positive message and trying to teach people how to think. If you look, I say if you've got a normal job and you're happy with it, cool. You probably shouldn't be watching. But if you want more and you wake up in the morning and you're frustrated with your shit, follow my my rules because I'm going to tell you some stuff. So I started getting, like Ben, a phenomenal amount of people saying, do you do mentoring? Like this person, I said, I don't even know what it is. What, what's that? Oh, we pay you to come and get advices. I'm like, no, man, I ain't got time for that. I'm time to train. I ain't got time to ride my motorcycles. Like, right. no. So then I started thinking about it. I thought, yeah, but, you know, I love teaching. I love giving. I love, I love seeing people reach their potential. How can I capture this? So I said, look, I'm going to do a seminar, you know, for 50 people. It's 200 bucks each because I want a commitment. If you don't spend 200 bucks on yourself, well, okay, you don't get it. It's not expensive, but to some people it is, that's okay. And would people like to see this? And it, it went nuts. So shit, I've got to come up with a name. I don't even know where it came from. So um, I, I thought, what, what's it about? It's about never quitting and never stopping. Never quit is relentless. Never stop is momentum. So relentless momentum. So I registered and I put up a little flyer on I think Facebook or something at the time or Instagram saying relentless momentum we're going to do melbourne and sydney and and both shows sold out like immediately i'm like wow this is pretty cool so i can do all that in one weekend you know get something back for doing it but hire a room and just go there and talk and what's it going to be okay i'm going to give people a few hours of something so the first hour i tell my life story from being that you know fat 14 year old kid seeing arnold on tv to sleeping on on the couch to getting bad media to all the crazy shit i've been involved with um, and I don't hold back on anything. So I'm completely honest with my failures and my shortcomings and the dumb shit I did when I was younger um, through to all the breakthrough points we talked about, which were you know, getting a TV show, being the weights coach at one of the AFL um, uh, sides, starting the pro show, starting FedEx and becoming Arnold's partner and friend and, and so on. So I go through all these steps of the things that started to turn the corner. And the thing that... I try and impart on people as you've just got to outlast and stick it out. Like, oh, you've just got to be the hardest working person in the room. Okay, but what if there's someone else that works hard like you? When you've got to outlast, it's like Survivor. You know, outplay, outsmart, outlast. And that's always been my thing. So when I start my seminars, I always say, listen, I'm just one of you guys. I'm not going to put myself on a pedestal. And I've been and seen some of the great speakers, you know, Tony Robbins and some of these really influential and amazing people. But I find they kind of put themselves on a pedestal and talk down to people like, if you want to be like me, you know, it's like that old saying, if, it was a, uh, if you want to be rich, send me $50, I'll tell you how to get rich. Yeah, exactly. You get rich because everyone sent them $50. Right. Yeah, so I never wanted to be that. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just one of you guys. And when I started out in my gym career, everybody had more money. Everybody had more education because I flunked out. I left school. I didn't flunk out. I just left because I hated the authority and the bullshit. And I just wasn't buying their dreams. So I bailed. I left home at 17 and hit the road, you know. And um, so I say I had... I had Everybody had more money. Everybody had more education. And and uh, most of them were smarter than me. So what did I have? I, I don't quit. You know, some of these guys, and this was, then you start to use your weaknesses or your perceived weaknesses as your advantage. So I'm like, I know what it's like to be to sleep on a couch, to have the power cut off, to have to spin bullshit and hustle and do personal training. Like the first two years at the gym, and I was doing deck collecting for bad people at night to keep the doors open at the gym because I couldn't draw away. I was doing PTs before anyone knew what PTs were, just handling people through their workouts and then doing security at night and working around the clock and doing crazy shit because there's no way I was going to let that thing fail, no, no matter what I had to do. And and it's that when I say outlasting. So then I think, okay, what if someone that was um, from a, a sense of entitlement 
and a wealthy family and highly educated had to sleep on a couch at a gym and take shit from people. They're going to quit. Good. They're going to yeah. go, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. They're going to walk away from it. Or if someone, for example, worked a whole year on a pro show or an expo and then lost thirty or $40,000 that they didn't have to lose. They're going to go, oh, I'm going to cut my losses and walk away from this. I'm going to tell you, this, the second FedEx, um, I stuffed up on some advertising, some things because I listened to the wrong people and thought other people knew my brand better than me. I lost $120,000 on my second FedEx. And, of course, my long-suffering accountant was like, oh, maybe you should cut your losses and walk away. I said, maybe I should learn my lessons and get better at it and get that money back next year because, you know, I didn't go to college or school or anything. I'm sure it would have cost me more than $120,000 <laughs> to learn or to think I'd learn sure. at school what I needed to know to be good at running expos and mm -hmm. events and being a great promoter. So I said, you know, I'll just take that as an investment. People say, you know, they don't understand this attitude. I'm like, you've got you to put a positive spin on everything. You know, my life's fallen apart a number of times. You know, my marriage fell apart and, and people said, oh, you know, it must be terrible. And they'd grab your wrist and say, are you okay? Okay, never better. And I'm not um, twisted or bitter or vengeful or jaded. Why would you be? In fact, I'm going to show guys how to handle their shit and how to be a good person and a good ex-husband and a good father and how to be gracious, man. Like, look, and, and, and I just... I've always just had this thing, Ben, to be able to find some light in darkness and no matter what, just go, yeah, but that's not so bad. You know, I still get to eat every day. I still get to hang around with cool people. I still get to go to the gym every – and even back then when I was so broken, I thought, can I really outlast everyone? Yeah, I can. And all the gyms that were open around me at the time all gone. All the promoters are gone. Everyone that tried to destroy me, they're done. They're done, man, because they were weak, you know. And and back to bodybuilding and stories, I go all over the place with this but there's something i remember dorian yates remember the first time i interviewed them interviewed him and this is in an era where flex wheeler and vince taylor and you know these guys and kevin Levroni, who no doubt had better genetics than dorian and better shape and more pleasing shit going on and i said what's your strength man he goes their weakness it was very simple they're weaker than me he goes, I know they cheat on their diet. I know they skip their cardio sessions. I know they walk out of the gym when they go and get tough. I know they don't finish their posing things. You know, and there was no internet back then, but someone would call him and say, oh, I heard Flex in the gym today tell somebody went to the fridge during the night and took some scoops of ice cream. He'd go, I'd hear that. It was like fuel on a fire. He goes, I'd do an extra 20 minutes cardio and miss a meal, you know, or, or lower my carbs even more because I heard that. And I'd hear that someone punked out on their workout. So I'd stay and do an extra hour. There's so much power in knowing that you're doing what the enemy won't or the, what you're yeah. your Yeah, going won't. where no one will go. And, you know, it's funny and it's, it's fantastic that Netflix has released the, the Ronnie Coleman DVD and you know, Generation Iron and the whole thing. Okay, yeah. there's some things we'd all like to see improved there. But the story and, and the fact that people got to know Ronnie's mentality a little bit, I was a big fan of that. Because he just says it simply, I was willing to do the stuff that no one else was willing to do. And I remember Jay, who I just, I'm just a huge friend and fan of Jay. I just think he's just, you know, what an ex-bodybuilder should project. Yeah, yeah, Jay Cutler's a class act, man. You know, and there's a couple of things he said on that movie. He said, you know, if there's anyone else I'd feel sorry for him, but Ronnie, I don't think he'd change a thing. And the other thing was, you know, and he's a guy, but Jay was hardcore. He said Ronnie was willing to do the stuff that no one else was willing to do. He was willing to go places, dark places that nobody else dared to tread. And that was Dorian. You know, and he knew that. He just knew he was essentially stronger than all of them mentally and emotionally. So this is what I learned in life, that I can outlast and outwork anyone because I, I just that's, where, that's my space. I can't be beaten in that. When you know that about yourself, 
takes a lot of doubt out of supreme things. Supreme confidence, man. And the, the, so this this uh, this thing I talk about a lot is your beliefs shape your reality, right? So what you believe about yourself determines your outcomes. It determines you, what you bring to a situation. So when you believe that no matter what happens, I won't quit, that's so much power. And and if people can create that for themselves, and it takes time to create that. That didn't just form in your psyche overnight, right? That formed over time. You constantly showing up and never quitting. That became who you are. And that's a very powerful place to approach life, man. I think that was a big contributing factor to becoming, you know, the current Tony Doherty is developing that um, relentless momentum, man. Yeah, your, it your is. Turn. Yeah, and it's it's committing yourself to something. So when I do something, man, I'm all in. Like the night before I did my first relentless momentum seminar, I went out and had it tattooed on my wrist so I could just show people how committed I was. Hey, I went to the tattooist yesterday and did this for you guys because mm -hmm. I mean it. I'm going to show you guys relentless momentum. I'm going to share everything. And people want to hold back on the information and sell it and all that. I'm like, man, there's enough for everyone. If I can help somebody, and, you know, this is where I love uh, Instagram, you know, and the stories that I do every day because I get so much, you know, love and feedback back from people who say, hey, you know what, I was going to quit and I heard your story today, man, I went harder. And you know what, I never had the courage to leave my job and I was miserable and I was dying inside because of you. I changed the way I think and I changed the way I approach things and I went out on my own and, you know, it's hard yards, but man, I've never been so happy. And I get right. stuff like that. And I remember this one story, there's this kid, he asked you know, this question, he said, um, oh, you know, it was full of self-pity. He's like, you know, I, I never get a raise, I never get a promotion, I'm always the guy they overlook, you know, I think I'm good at my craft, but, you know, I'm un like I'm unlucky. What do you advise me to do? I said, man, that's easy. You'd be the first person to get there in the morning, the last one to leave at night and do all the shit that no one else wants to do. Got it? I'll say it again for the listeners. Be the first one to get there, the last one to leave and do the shit no one else wants to do. And don't put your hand out, put your hand up. It means don't say, hey, what's in it for me? Put your hand up, say, what can I do? So this, this affected this kid. 12 months later, he messaged me back and he, he, was, he was an apprentice, uh, some kind of tradesman. He won the Australian Apprentice of the Year. Wow. And got a job in a company that never puts on it's so apprentices. simple, right? But people aren't willing to get yeah. uncomfortable to do. He said, "Man, I, I thought he was entitled." Yep. He goes, "You know, I should get a promotion because I I'm good at my shit." I'm like, "No, your boss don't even know who you are. Right. You be the guy that's there when he gets there, that stays back after he leaves, that picks up the mop and the bucket and the broom, and just empties the bins and does shit that no one to think." I go, I said earlier, I go out and empty bins all the yeah. time to lead from the front and and. Uh, I think that stuff's so powerful. So back to that thing, this relentless momentum, um, I really enjoy, Ben. I want to do more of that. That's what's going to be the name of my podcast. And, yeah, just like giving back. I think it empowers you more than you could you could ever ever ask. I do that with my team, my, my staff, is I ask the question, what does excellence look like for you? And I let them define it. Like I, So our, our team slogan or the whole mi40 brand muscle intelligence brand is is framed around demand excellence and you know, what does excellence look like for you so excellence is exactly what you're saying it's a very parallel thing it's like show up early tuck in your shirt you know take care of yourself look your best speak well you know read great books be the last guy to leave all those things that in my world contribute to excellence what does that mean does it mean having having the hard conversations it's all those things that people don't want to do that require absolute excellence um and that that's where we come from man so it's funny that you and i live these parallel realities just different articulations of the same thing and, and uh you know no doubt um and you know it, it's a funny thing because it's not that complicated 
You know, it's like, um, you know, people say, what's the most important thing to impart onto your children? Well, that's easy, manners. You can have all manners and people skills. You can have all the letters after your name. And Mm -hmm. I know in America, it's such a big deal. You've got to go to college or you fail. Out here, it's not so bad. And I broke the mold with that shit anyway because I never never bought their dream. But, you know, I've got four kids and I just, my greatest thrill is when we go somewhere and someone says, your children have the best manners. This is incredible. Please and thank you. One of my daughters, she makes a big deal when we, because I get them to order their own food because I take them to restaurants all the time. And I said, read the menu and, and when the waitress approaches, don't be waved when the approaches, it's your turn. And one of them, she's articulate. She pronounces it properly and she says, please. And she says, thank you. And she says, thank you for your trouble. And, and it makes, well, all of them do, but one of them goes over the top and it makes me so proud. And I think, you know, you can have all the letters after your name, you can have all the PhDs and all the shit in the world, but if you don't have manners, no one's going to like you. And if you don't have people skills, no one's going to want to work with you. So I expose my kids, you know, I have them working part-time at the gym from when they're like 10. Just come and serve some customers, learn some, you know, please and thank you and how to read people. And, you know, our gym's really unique as yours is. But we're talking yesterday about the gym brand. And when I have my staff meetings with the gym side of it, I try and tell them how fortunate they are. I see you're the luckiest people in the world because everybody looks forward to seeing you. What other job in the world... People just think all day, shit, when I see Ben, everything's going to be okay. When I see Tony, when I see Andrew, everything's going to be okay. You don't know what people go through to get here. And it always rings true that, it's a little bit of a story, but there's one guy that comes in he's like a, no one knows what he does, but he's a kind of quirky guy and he um, um, he comes in and he's kind of a bit down sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't say hello and he's kind of beat up when he gets here and people say, oh, he's an ass or he's this or he's that or he's always moody. Ever taking time to see what the guy does. So he's like at the high end of talking people off bridges when they're about to jump yeah. and going removing kids from ice-addicted parents and, you know, doing the ugly shit that no right. one else... Probably not because sleeping of him, a lot, probably high Doing night shifts, but doing just horrendous shit, Ben, dealing with the scourge of the worst of society because someone has to do it. And he comes here to unwind and diffuse and he drives past 20 gyms He's to get the kind here. of guy who needs a hug when he walks in, right? Well, he <laughs> doesn't. Wants, no, yeah. he just needs to be left the fuck alone. Right. And, yeah. and that's the whole thing is that I have to teach my stuff. Don't be trying to get a hello and hi, how are you all American? Have a nice day off everyone because maybe it's not their time. Maybe they need this workout more than they need to breathe or a hug or anything else because it's, it's the fiber that holds their fucking life together. Mm. And being that we get the 5% of people that nobody else wants, yeah, we're at the other end of the market too. And we get insomniacs and nutcases and, you know, um, CEOs and criminals and everything in between. I'm like, man, you've got you to understand people are looking forward to seeing you. You may be the tiny bit of thread that's holding the whole fucking life together, but you might not get a smile or a hug every day. Just be cool. Just be cool. Yeah, when someone walks in and they just look like they've got the trouble of the world, they say, hey, okay, bro, you're good. Yeah, I'll come see you in the gym. Give them 20 minutes. Go. If they need to talk, they'll talk. If mm-hmm. they don't, they'll be closed off. But I'll up. tell you one thing, they'll be better on their way out because they had their fix. You know, And this is what people forget. So if you work in a bank or in a government department or you're a parking inspector or whatever. Who looks forward to seeing you? No one. No one wants to go to the account. No one wants to go to the fucking court. No one wants to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But we take this for granted in this industry. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it's so hard. I've not got to deal with all these people. Oh, poor you, you know? This is what you signed up for. You're in the people business. And this is the, 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 the greatest thing I say to personal trainers that go out and, you know, these ones that go out and upskill and they read every book in the world, haven't got any fucking people skills. And they can't get any clients. Go, yep. Because you don't know people. You're in the people business. 
you know, some people are actually buying friendship. Yeah, they want to train their ass off, but they haven't got anyone else they can talk to. They haven't got anyone else that they can come and do that person for them. And here you are counting reps, being blank and not reading their emotionals or where they're at or the fact that, you know what, they need to back off a little bit today because it, it's, it's tough out there. And they're giving you 80 or 100 bucks an hour for you to stand there like a zombie or to check your phone all the time. Like, be a human. You know, when people can, the most successful people are the ones who can read the temperature in the room and understand their people and give them what they what they need. You know, and it might be hard love sometimes too. You you got to be that 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 uh, sure. difficult friend. But it's all those things, Ben, that that we've got to impart onto the people that are listening and onto the kids is to say, you know, sharp up on your manners, as you said, those habit forming things. Make your fucking bed in the morning. You know, clean up after yourself. You know, I go eat. Three times a day when I'm at work, I never leave dirty dishes in the sink. Never. And sometimes when I do an interview, I'll get someone a glass of water, give them something in the vessel and see what they do with it. If they're coming, they want to come work for me, do you put it back in the sink or do you want me to clean up after you? Right. You know, when people leave their weights out, I'm I'm still obsessed with this. So I've got so on my iPad, I have all the cameras. We have 26 cameras. I walk out there and someone's left the weights on the dip machine or the one of the back machines. I'll go back through the video. If they're still here, I just walk straight up. Say, so, dude, have you finished with it? You know, like I'm, like I'm friendly and I want to use the machine. Have you finished with that, uh, that um, hammer strength row over there? See, yeah, yeah, I'm done, man. I go, well, what, do you want me to clean up after you? And I change my eyes and I fixate at them. Like, oh, so you want me to clean up your shit? Like, maybe you should get your mum to come down. And they're like, what? I go, man, it's a condition of training here that you clean up after yourself. What the fuck are you? Imagine if everybody did that or someone leaves eight plates on a leg, leg press. I, 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 I'm crazy about this shit. And because my standards are so high and I clean up after myself, be leaving your dishes in the sink and leaving your weights on a machine. No, I won't put up with it. I just say to people, really, in fact, sometimes I call them up and I say, look, it's really, really simple. You've now got a choice. I'm leaving the weights on the machine. You're going to drive back here and you're going to load the machine. I'm going to put an out of order sign on it until you get here. Because if someone walks in and they want to use that machine that's full of weights, they think, oh, someone else is using it. I have to go do something else. And that's really rude, man. I, I, just, I just don't tolerate it. So once again, leadership from the front. I do that hard stuff. If someone stinks, I go up and say, hey, you need to use some deodorant because everyone's talking about it and no one's got the heart to tell you the truth, man. You smell. So oh, you're going to lose members. Okay, yeah, but you might lose members because your gym stinks. You might right. lose 10 good members because one fucker doesn't wash in the morning. Right. You know, or you might lose members because they come in and the, the machine's always loaded with weights. How about you pick up the hard ball sometimes and just say, you know what? Let's set some standards and then lead from the front. Love it, man. Dude, there's so much wisdom in that, and I'll take a lot of that to heart. And it's just, you know, something I talk about all the time is, is holding yourself to a world-class standard, and that's what you've done, dude. So, Tony, man, I'm so grateful for your time and what you continue to do. Um, tell people about the Arnold Classic, when it is, um, and, and where they can find it online to get more information. Um, well, online it's uh, Arnold arnoldsportsfestival.com.au. Um, on Instagram, it's arnoldsportsau and so on. Um, it's on March 15th to 17th. Well, it actually starts on the 14th because a great um, uh, strength summit we're doing on the Thursday. So we've now backed things back to the Thursday. So we've got a great uh, strength summit. Um, Which means uh, about, um, like strength uh, Ed Cohen, Steph Cohen, Andrew Locke, who's a physio, oh, functional yeah, physio exactly. here. All your yeah. mates. Yeah. And it was going to be Charles Poliquin. It was actually our dear friend, mm-hmm. both of us. Um, he was going to be the headliner for it until he passed away. And then we kind of parked it for a minute. Because how do you... Well, how do you replace him? Yeah, man. Yeah. You know. And um, I know he, he connected you and I with, you know, with, with Watson, Watson and with Prime yeah. and all those groups. He put us guys together. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be forever grateful. So um, I was talking to him the week that he passed away and he was, oh, I'm, I'm in, set it up. Yeah. 
And um, so it's sort of, you know, a tribute to him as well. But we've got a strength summit on the Thursday, which is um, – so all four speakers do uh, 90 minutes each. Then at the end, all of them come onto a panel where someone's going to ask hard questions and pit them against each other because they're different philosophies yeah. and stuff. And the other guy is Sebastian Oreb, who's um, yeah, Thor's coach. coach. Yep. Yeah, Aussie strength coach. So yeah. um, uh, He's might, coming up on the podcast as well. Oh, cool. Yep. Well, we might get um, you and Jordan on the panel for next year. Sweet. That'd be really cool because I, I know, you know we're all in that same sort of – Family, if you like. Yep. Um, so that's on the Thursday and the meet and greet for the athletes. And then it all starts. So the expo goes Friday, Saturday and Sunday. You know, Arnold will be here. We've got an unbelievable lineup in, in the pro show. We've got pro men's open, fitness for women, figure and bikini. And I'll be adding another category the following year. We've got 40 different sports. We've got the pro raw powerlifting where last year the Russian guy that I was talking to Jordan about yesterday squatted 505 kilograms raw right. without wraps and shit, you know. And then we've got the, the strongman where I've built a big amphitheater, like double grandstands down both sides, like a Coliseum for, uh, feel with the amateur strongman, the pro strongman, the bodybuilding up the other end and, you know, 40-odd sports in between. So it's just – it's an amazing experience. Of course, all the supplement companies and clothing companies, and there's a food truck park and a whole lot of stuff. So if you support what we do – and 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 want to be a part of what Arnold's doing worldwide. It's called his Fitness Crusade. He started this in the '60s. You know, I talk to him all the time when I interview him, and you know, I'm coming out into my tenth interview with him, and it always comes back to that. And he says, when he started out and he travelled, there was no hotel in the world that had a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't find a gym that had a casual workout rate or anything like that. And he says, look now, everywhere in the world, every fire station, every police station, every university, every single hotel's got some kind of gym. And I think it's because of him. I think he started this whole thing worldwide. He made bodybuilding popular. It's a cool thought, right? Oh, man. Think about that. Powerful. Changing the world in yep. your lifetime, you know, and being someone that people are going to remember forever. And I think he's that. I think oh, he's the sure. most recognizable person in the world. I think he's the, most, he's the smartest guy I've ever met. But once again, this is always a long game with him. He's, he was thinking 20 years ahead and 30 years ahead when he was doing this stuff. When he did Pumping Iron, it was to make bodybuilding popular, to be that villain that everybody loved. And to, to make it mainstream, you know, and people want to you know, shit on bodybuilders. Oh, you know, I'm not a bodybuilder. Yes, you are. Every single one, every football lifts up their shirt to show their abs. And every time, you know, one of these runners, Usain Bolt or something, runs 100 metres under 10 seconds, what do they do? They do an archer pose right. or a most muscular, Yeah, you know, and everybody that wants to be leaner. And that's why people in gyms are up to bodybuilders for advice. So how do I get a little bit leaner? How do I get those veins in my arms? How do I get my legs a bit bigger or stronger? So all the sports in, in the world, every single sport that does weight training exercises to be better at their sport, they're learning from us, from bodybuilders. Sure, they're yeah. bodybuilders. Yep. Yeah, they want to be bodybuilders, but they yeah. still are. And it's just the, how you define the term, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And then you know, the low-carb diets. So the, now this trendy thing that all these scientists are taking ownership of. Man, we've been doing it since the 60s. Right. It's what works. Yeah, carbs make you fat if you have too many of them. That's a simple thing. But now, and everyone wants to put a label on. The latest one is the label is fasted cardio. Well, you know, there's a bunch of us have been training on empty stomachs since the beginning of time. Yep. But now I've got to be part of this this cult and this club and right. this tribe. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, come on, man. Dude, you so know, much wisdom. You know, so so I think um, we owe so much to Arnold. And if you're part of that, come along and support the Arnold Sports Festival wherever you are in the world. Go along, man. It's incredible. I've, Never had anyone that just doesn't have a great time. We had 75,000 people there last year. We want to break all records this year. And um, come and feel the passion that we have for what we do because it's real, man. And I think one of the things that we can do as far as a call to action for people out there is uh, if you're someone who's already in the fitness industry, make it your job to bring one person who's not in the fitness, fitness industry or one person who um, you think 
would benefit from being around fit people because it's totally inspirational to be there, man. I've been there four or five times now uh, at your event, and uh, it, it's such an inspirational thing. That may just be the catalyst to get that one person that you care about off the couch and into the gym or off the couch and walking and caring about their fitness. And I think that may be the call to action is like, you know, bring yeah, one person with you cool. that you yeah. uh, that you love. And yeah, want to and it might be that one person goes back to work and changes 10 other lives. Exactly. I mean, this shit spreads. Yep. It really, really does, you know, and I think um, people don't understand the power they've got in the positions. Oh, that's what I say. If you work at a gym, you know, acknowledge that you're in a great spot because you're changing lives, mm-hmm. you're saving lives, you're extending lives, you know. And then when people see someone else do a transformation or become something great, then they get on board. And then it just spreads. Like you think about how many people are working out now, how many people listen to the podcast, how many people share this kind of stuff. And I think it's fantastic. And yeah, everybody um, jumps on social media and wants to look at all the holes and all the gaps and all the shit parts of it. How good is it, man? It's great. Like I say to my kids, you know, they've got phones and some parents don't want their kids have phones. Well, teach them how to use them properly. My kids are the best researchers I've ever met. I'll be driving along, I'll say the name of the restaurant. One of my daughters will say, it opens in five, you don't, at five, you don't need to book and this is the <laughs> price range of their food. Right. And you need to wear a collar. You just, it's amazing. Or I'll say about some place I've been. Tell me three things about this place. They're Googling it. You know, one of my daughters I was telling, someone just said, Jim, that was with you, um, has become like a makeup expert. She's 10. She learned off YouTube. You know, she went in and learned so much. Another one does calisthenics and all this stuff because she researched it and learned. What an age we live in. Like, man, when I, went, when I was young, I wanted to know, so I had to go to like a library or I had to, there was no going online. I had to get like a magazine, fill in a form, send a check, wait for it to clear overseas for someone to send me a freaking book. Now you've got every library in the world on your phone. Right. Access to every piece of information, every, oh man, every university, every, everything's there. What a resource if you, if, if you use it responsibly. And, and, and people say, you know, what we were saying before, um, they worry about what they can't do. What you can be doing is upskilling every single night before you go to bed. You know, this is last one I'll leave you with, but it's one of the things that you know, people say, what's the best advice you've heard Arnold give? One of my favorite things he says is if you want to be really good at something, really educated about something, for one year, spend an hour a day reading about it. He goes, for example, if you wanted to know all about music and the history of music and the violin, the piano, and where it started, imagine if you read one hour every day about this. In one year, you'd be an expert. You'd know more about music than anyone anyone's yeah. ever going to meet. If right. it's architecture or it's training or it's nutrition or it's candle making, it doesn't matter. If you want to really be – then spend an hour a day researching. It's, it's, it's all in your hands. It's in your pocket. It's not like you have to go anywhere instead of watching – you know, some drama on Netflix, or even worse, um, you know, following uh, negative people or celebrities that are basically fuck ups on Instagram and then shaping your life around their habits. Right. Get away from that and do something positive for yourself, man. It's all there. Tony Doherty, man, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Uh, we're grateful for you, and we will be directing people to your podcast and to your show, man. Thank you. Good to see you, man. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode.
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.